Good morning, Boker Tov. Welcome back to Living with Emuna. So excited to be together and very excited to finally, after much discussion, to be able to have our Caffeinate with Kavana, Shakol Niebidvaro, Biras Emuna Shir. They'll be available at the end of Shir this morning, $10. Cash, check, or Venmo. Just stay at the end of Shir. You have to be in person. They will be available. Those who are watching online or listening online, we have this great coffee mug, Caffeinate with Kavana, Shakonia Bidvaro. Great way to start your day every day. Buy one if you're going to use one. $10 a piece. They're available right at the end of Shear. If you're listening or watching online, we're still figuring out how we will send you, how you could purchase. If you buy one, we're also going to throw in a Behind the Bima car magnet. So, Behind the Bima car magnet and a Caffeinate with Kavana coffee mug. What a day to start the day. Aren't you glad that you came in person today? and that you are here. The Amuna Shir. The Amuna Shir is generously sponsored for the year by Dr. Zavi and Bella Morgan in memory of Rabbi Dr. Brian Galbit. Zechron Lavrach in memory of Bella's mother, Dr. Ellen Chanzer Lashalom, whose year site is on the 10th of Adar. We observe both Adars, so it's coming up again. We're deeply grateful to the Morgans for their sponsorship. This morning's Shir is also sponsored by Brew Pool and Family for their Fea Shlema. Where's Brew? Thank you, Brew. For the Rafua Shlema of her father, Hanoch Binyamin Ben Sara, should have a complete, speedy, and painless Rafua Shlema. I want to thank Alana Landau. Where's Alana? Thank you for designing this cup. If you have any graphic design needs, Alana Landau. Alana, how can they be in touch with you for gra- Look at this unbelievable stuff. How can they be in touch with you for their graphic design needs? Alana Landau, that's easy. Alana Landau at gmail.com. Alana with an I. If you're listening, watching anywhere in the world, Alana Landau. Alana with an I, Landau at gmail.com. Everybody jump on board. Okay, let's j- dive back into living with Amuna. How did the homework go? Yes. Okay, now I'm going to Now that you all said it was great, I want to ask you what the homework was. Let's see if you remember. Smile. Good. You remember. And it went well. Turn the page. Yeah. Right. Amazing. Start that book and turn the page. Amazing. Right. Amazing. Wow, that's great. Amazing. Amazing. So now that we finally got the cup done, and by the way, by next week we'll have our disposable version of this cup done. I like drinking out of disposable cups. I don't know why. But the disposable version will be available next week. Next is our notebook. Lana's hard at work. To turn the page. It's our notebook that every morning you wake up and turn the page, and that will remind us, as we spoke about last week in the Amunish year, that Rav Itchemeyer, Rav Yitzchak Meyer, Morgenstone, reminded us that every day Hashem opens a new opening. It's the name of our notebook, Daf Chadash. Every day it's a new page. Every day is a new page. Turn the page. The hurt from yesterday, the disappointment from yesterday, the failure from yesterday, to a degree the success and the triumph and the happiness of yesterday, you can't rely on and depend on today. It is a new day. You've got to turn the page, a willingness to turn the page. When do you turn the page? When do you not yet turn the page? Because you don't want to allow yourself to be stepped on or stepped all over. You have to stand up for yourself. That is a complicated topic we alluded to that still deserves to be spoken about. But the general principle is a willingness to learn to turn the page. So we're going to make notebooks where you can take your notes on the day, and every morning you wake up, and part of your ritual, as you caffeinate with kavana, 
you turn the page and you start again and it's a brand new day. Wake up in the morning, bright sunshine, optimistic, hopeful. It's a brand new day. It's a brand new day. A new belief in humanity, a new belief in relationship and conversation in Hashem. Many people, a new belief in yourself. So many have given up on themselves. They stop believing in themselves. They just don't believe they're worthy, they're capable, they'll break through. So turn the page. Turn the page with the three realms we live in. Ben Adam Lachavero, believe in people. Ben Adam Lamakom, turn the page with Hashem. And Ben Adam Laatzmo, we turn the page with ourselves. We give ourselves another chance. We start again. We turn the page. Okay, before we dive back into Be'am Derechecha, we've been talking about Simcha, smiling. That was your other homework. Turn the page and smile. Smile before you walk in the home. Smile before the kids come in the car for carpool. Smile before you greet whoever's coming home to you. Smile before every meeting. Smile before every exchange. When you smile, the whole world smiles with you. So did you find that the world smiles with you? Did it change things? Amazing. Fantastic. Send me your stories. I love to share them. So one insight before we dive back into Biyam Derechacha. I saw this actually online this morning from my friend Rav Moshe Tzvi Weinberg. He quotes the following. We say in davening and Ashrei, Karov Hashem l'chol karav, l'chol asher, yikru'uhu be'emes. Hashem is close to all who call out to Him, all who call out to Him in truth. So normally we say to ourselves, normally what this means, you can go back to Sitter Snippet, we're up to 350 something, but... I don't know, somewhere much earlier when we did Ashrei, Karov Hashem L'chol Karav, Hashem is close to all the Kolatim. However, it has to be, L'chol Hashem Yikru'uhu Be'emes. You have to call them authentically, genuinely. It shouldn't be fake or counterfeit or fraudulent. It shouldn't be superficial or surface. You have to call out to him for real. Talk to him. Not like he's your best friend. He is your best friend. Not like he's right in front of you. He is right in front of you. Talk to him, Be'emes. Talk to him sincerely. Talk to him genuinely. Talk to him in earnest. Have a real conversation with him. Have a real conversation with him. <laughs> Fill him in. Tell him what's going on. Be grateful. Protest and object. Tell him everything. That's how we normally understand it. But Rav Moshe Tzvi quoted such a beautiful insight. I don't know if it's his own or from elsewhere. He said, Karov Hashem l'chol karav. Hashem is close to all who call out to him. L'chol So we say, L'chol Really? Anyone who calls out? Even me? But I'm a nothing. I'm unworthy. I'm incapable. I failed him so many times. I made so many promises I haven't fulfilled. I feel so distanced. I've fallen so far from him. Even me? L'chol asher yikru'u? Be'emes. Be'emes, he'll answer anybody. Yes, even you. Karov Hashem l'chol karav. Hashem is close to all who call out to him. L'chol asher yikru'u? It's really anybody? Even me? Be'emes. Yeah, even you. Even you. L'chol asher yikru'u. Isn't that beautiful? I just saw that online this morning. I said, ah. It's beautiful. It's perfect for the Amunashir. And that is the turning the page. Be'emes, turn the page. Even you. It's a new day. It's a new start. But you don't have to wait for the next day. I'll tell you a little secret. You could turn the page in the middle of the day. You could turn the page at 12 o'clock at night, the end of your day. Whenever you're ready to turn the page, you could turn the page. And you could say, you know what? I don't have to feel shackled and debilitated and paralyzed by what just happened or by carrying all the baggage or history of the past. I have to learn from it. I have to reconcile parts of it. I can't let people step all over me. I have to stand up for myself. But I also don't have to be defined by it. I can also create a new reality for who I am and how I see myself and how I want to interact with the people around me and my relationship with Hashem above me and my relationship with myself and what I believe about myself and who I am and where I'm going. We're on page Kufnun Beis. You have to tell me when I'm running out in the booklet and we have to make more. Kufnun Beis, Oz Gimel. We're still good? Yeah? Okay. Amazing. 
So we've been talking now about, let, let's just catch up. All of us want to be happy, all of us want to be joyful, all of us want to smile across our face. That's the secret to life, the secret to longevity. Countless studies show you want emotional, spiritual, physical health, be happy, smile. Simcha Sachaim. Simcha Sachaim. We'll be speaking about it the Shabbos. This Shabbos, we have our uh, women's Kiddush and Shir following davening. It's Parsha Zachar. Time to come back to Shul, Parsha Zachar. But a women's Kiddush and mini Shir. So a Kiddush designed specially for women. I don't know what that means, like a, like a vegetarian chalant. Yeah, I don't know exactly what that means. A lot of crudite, is that what they call it? crudite? I don't know exactly what it means. Crudite and fruit and uh, yogurt and I don't know what. Um, but women's kiddush and uh, short shear. And the topic of our shear is stay calm and carry on, overcoming the hysteria of Amalek. Amalek, the voice of Amalek is the voice of hysteria, of panic, of anxiety. And part of the defeat of Amalek in the story of Purim is how to stay calm and carry on. So that is our topic. That is our topic. For Shabbos morning, following the 9.15 minyan, approximately 11.05, that's our topic, women's kiddush. And we are totally biased and discriminatory in the shul. We are totally not uh, egalitarian. We have a tremendous bias towards women. In the history of the shul, I don't know that we've ever had a men's kiddush and shir, ever. But we've had several women's kiddush and shir, so we are totally biased and discriminatory. I'm waiting for the men to revolt and rebel against me. The kiddush club. The kiddush club. Okay. We've never had anything authorized by the shul that has been men's kiddush and, and shir. Okay. So we're talking, we want to be happy. We want to be besimcha. That's the secret to longevity, the secret to life. Menucha sanefesh, happiness. Ah, but the secret to feeling happy is feeling whole. And none of us feel whole. We're all incomplete. And we're incomplete simply by virtue of being alive, by being awake, by having to confront the day, by the fear of the unknown. What could yet happen today that we don't know? Who knows what will be and what will happen? So how can I feel whole and complete? To which the answer is, the only way to feel whole is to attach ourselves to the source of wholeness, to the only being that is whole, namely, the Ebeshtah, the Ribbon Shalom, Hashem, God, whatever you want to call Him. To our Father in Heaven, we are whole when we attach ourselves to He who is whole, and that completes us. Hashem, you complete me. Oh, we're not going to make anything with that on it. That's already been taken. But, Alana, don't get any ideas. But Hashem, you complete me. You complete me. I'm broken, but you complete me. As the Katzka, there's nothing as whole as a broken heart. So how do we feel that way? What brings us down? What makes us sad? When we feel that we're a failure. When we feel we've made mistakes. When we feel that we act compulsively in a way that is inconsistent with our values. And again, secular research and literature says that when a person acts out in a way that's inconsistent with the stated values they claim to have, they get depressed. Act out can mean anything. It can mean going in debt because you spend money you don't have. It means looking at images and acting on them that you shouldn't. It means consuming substances, engaging in behaviors. But those very behaviors, substances, or materials that people think by engaging will bring them happiness actually does the opposite. There's a momentary fleeting happiness, and then there's a depression. I'll give you an example I think we can all relate to, most of us can relate to, that is a simple, sort of benign example, only it's not, and it's in the area of food, right? So we say, I don't want to eat it late at night, and then there's the bag of Cape Cod potato chips that someone who claims to love us buys for us nonetheless. <laughs> we won't mention who they are. Maybe we force them to and yell at them that they didn't, and then they do, but they don't really love us because they did. So the Cape Cod potato chips... <laughs> They're supposed to know not to listen to us. This is all hypothetical. I'm talking about 
talking about my neighbor. So, so it's 11 o'clock at night. There's a bag of Cape Cod potato chips. You're hungry. It's been a long night. You finally have a moment to rest. And you've eaten the entire bag. You were just going to have one. But they're so good. So you ate the whole bag. So while you were eating it, they're delicious. The crunch, the texture, the fry, the salt. It's all the combination. That's how they got you. It's, it's unbelievable. It's unbelievable. While you ate it, it was unbelievable. It was exactly what you needed. It hit the spot. And the second you're done, you hate yourself. I don't think I'm exaggerating when I use the words. This hypothetical person says, says, I hate myself. Why did I do that? I promised I would never do that. It's late at night. I have a stomach full of Cape Cod potato chips. I'm about to lie horizontally for a few hours. Nothing good will come from that. I won't feel good about this decision, not only in the morning, I don't feel good about it right now. And I hate myself. But I don't understand. You just enjoyed it. They were delicious. The crunch, the salt, the texture. Why do you hate yourself? The answer is because when we behave in a way inconsistent with what we claim and say we want to be, we fall depressed. That's the human psyche. It's the way we were designed. That's Rav Meyer's writing. So the way to overcome that is to forgive ourselves, is to turn the page, is to find the simcha nonetheless and say, we may have failed, we may have lost the battle, but the war is not over. And we turn a page. So I got to the bottom of the bag. So I'm going to create new boundaries. No more potato chips, a lock, a combination on the cabinet, whatever I need to do. But I'm going to create new boundaries, new protocols. I may have failed, but I'm going to turn the page and I'm going to forgive myself. I'm going to learn from it. I'm going to grow from it, but I'm going to turn the page on it. And I have a munaf, Shem, I have faith in you. You were with me when I ate the potato chips. I said the bracha before. Why didn't you stop me? I said the bracha after. But, uh, Sometimes the Yetzirah acts noble. This is the most pernicious, the most dangerous form of the Yetzirah. Is not when the Yetzirah comes and says, I'm the little devil on your shoulder and I'm devilishly going to get you to do dangerous and bad and immoral and unethical things. Not the little Yetzirah that says, we know we shouldn't be eating this, but we're going to eat it. We shouldn't say this Lashonara, we're going to say it. We shouldn't look at this, we're going to look at it. Not, not the Yetzirah that knows that what it's doing is wrong. The most dangerous Yetzirah is the one that dresses up and presents itself as the noble Yetzir Tov. So Yetzirah says, you know, it's time to take inventory. Let's do a cheshben nefesh of your life. Let's evaluate who you are and all the mistakes you've made. Let's only remember and hold on to all the failures, all the shortcomings. Let's remember how fallible you are, how pathetic and lowly, incapable, incompetent, unworthy you are. And the Yetzirah says, why are we doing that? Because uh, to grow, you have to do cheshben nefesh. You have to do cheshben nefesh. So say for cheshben nefesh that Benjamin Franklin plagiarized and, and wrote an English book based on the Sefer Cheshben HaNefesh. It's fascinating, you can Google it and look it up. Cheshben HaNefesh is generally a very positive thing to take inventory of our lives, to evaluate who we are and who we want to be and to make resolutions to get there. It's generally a very positive thing. But when it's the Sahara trying to get you to do a Cheshben HaNefesh, when you're down and out, when you're negative, when you're not believing in yourself, and just then the Yetzirah kicks in and says, now is the perfect time for a Cheshben HaNefesh. Don't listen. Sometimes we do things, we think they're okay. And then the Yitzhar kicks in and says, who are you and what are you? Why'd you do that? It's not okay. Don't you know 
that you're capable of more and better? Don't you know there are opinions that this is not okay? Don't you know that there's a doubt here? Maybe you made a mistake. Maybe you didn't follow the law. Maybe you didn't follow the rules. Made a mistake and look at what you caused and you destroyed the cosmos and the universe and the negative energy you brought into the world because maybe it was a milk fork in the fleshing dishwasher. Maybe you forgot to make a bracha. Maybe the thing you thought was okay to repeat was in fact Lashonara. Maybe we have all kinds of negative voices that creep and crawl into our head. That's the Yitzhar trying to knock you down and knock you over and bring you down and make you sad and make you stop believing in yourself. So the great Ravitcha Meyer Morgenstern, I would have said, that's Yitzhar, that's Yitzhar Tov. Halavai, people would think, I got to live more cautiously and mindfully. Halavai, someone would be conscious and conscientious of their behavior and worry maybe they're making mistakes. I would have thought that's the Yitzhar Tov. But it's not. That's a dangerous psychological disorder. There's actually a name for it now. It's called scrupulosity. There's a name for it. You can look it up in psychology where people essentially express OCD or anxiety tendencies through a religious filter and therefore feel good about it or at least don't feel the negative stigma of it. So in other words, the person who has an hour-long Shemona Esrei, but not because they're having great kavana, because they have OCD, obsessive compulsive disorder, and they keep repeating the words thinking they didn't get it right. There are people who are OCD when it comes to kashras or mikvah or other areas of halacha or law. There's a fine line between being scrupulous and vigilant and virtuous and meritorious that we should admire and crossing the line of mental health where a person is using religion as a platform for other negative behaviors. So there's actually a diagnosis of it today called scrupulosity and there's treatment for it. My good friend, my good buddy, Rabbi Dr. Jonathan, formerly Tani Schwartz, is a sort of expert in the New Jersey area on this very topic. He's written about it and treats for it. So Richard Meyer is saying whether you have a diagnosis level scrupulosity or it doesn't rise to the level of diagnosis, but simply we have that negative voice in our head that is always convincing us that we're getting it wrong. You're getting it wrong. You made a mistake. It's not good enough. You're not being strict enough. That negative voice makes us sad. It brings us down. It makes us hopeless and helpless. You need to know that taking inventory, being aware of your life, being mindful of who you are, setting goals for who you want to be, all that's wonderful. And it's great. And it's important. And we don't do enough of it. But You have to sit down and have an evaluation, which is not going to knock you down and bring you down, but which is going to build you up and make you better. The goal is not to be depressed. The goal is not to feel miserable about ourselves. The goal is not to feel unworthy. The goal is to feel who we could be and what we're capable of, to strive for more. It's like parent-teacher conferences with ourselves. You know, the goal of parent-teacher conferences is not to go home and beat your kids up. You didn't do this and you did the other thing wrong and I heard you disrupting class and you don't try hard enough and you're underachiever and you're miserable. Okay, give me your devices and have a good night. That's not the goal of parent-teacher conferences. By the way, parenthetically, the goal of parent-teacher conferences is also not to beat the teacher up. If we have a teacher crisis across the entire spectrum of the Jewish community and of the from world, there's an enormous crisis of we can't get teachers and rebbe's and mechanchim and mechanchos. I don't care which part of the from world you're part of, there is a crisis. It was the theme of the Torah Masora conference this year. You can't get teachers. And maybe, there's a lot of reasons, a lot of variables. Salary, a big part of it. 
But a big part of it also is instead of admiring the teachers and putting them on a pedestal and being grateful for their sacrifice, today we beat them up and we talk about them at our table and our kids are always right and the teacher's always wrong. So who in their right mind would want to go into that? Yocheved often says, when we were kids, children would sit there on parent-teacher conference night. It's the only night of the year that you went to sleep early before your parents got home. Because you didn't want to hear what they had to say and the feedback and the consequences. Maybe it's just me and Yocheved. You were all perfect students and you stayed up and you couldn't wait to get the accolades. Maybe not even Yocheved, but I was asleep early on parent-teacher conference night. So it used to be that kids would sit there, they would, they would, they would shake in fear parent-teacher conference night. Now the teachers shake in fear. What are the parents going to yell at me about? What are they going to criticize me for? What did I do wrong? Why am I to blame for whatever is going wrong with their child? How do we get into that? Oh, because we have parent-teacher conference night with ourselves. So you don't come home from parent-teacher conference night and beat your kid up. You're incapable, you're unworthy, you're an underachiever, you're a misfit, you're disruptive. Well, you come home and you say, your teacher said you do X, Y, and Z wonderfully, and you have A, B, and C potential. You know, but there are areas we could do better. There are areas that you could grow into more. You have such potential. Let's realize it. How can we support you in becoming the best version of yourself? That's the conversation a parent has when they come home. Not you're a failure and a gornished and a nothing, you'll never amount to anything, and you're hopeless, and your teacher says you're terrible. What will a child grow to be if that's what they heard? The child has to hear, you're amazingly capable, and you have such potential. And here are so many ways that you're already getting it right, and here are ways that we can still yet get it right and get it better. Let's do this. You got this. We can be a better version of you. That's the conversation. So Richard Meyer says that's the conversation with ourselves too. When we have these cheshben and nefesh moments, when we pause and consider and evaluate our lives, when we reflect on where we've been and where we're going, we should stop and say, not your miserable, unworthy, incapable, oisvarf, low-life, reject, failure of a nothing. We stop and we say, okay, what did we get right? What could we have pride in? What are we grateful for? But yet, who can we still become? Where's our room for growth? What could we do better? How can we be a better version of ourselves? Zeklal Gadol says Rav Chemeyer is a key key principle. Kol davar v'chol machshava b'avuz Hashem shegoremes laatzvus v'yeyush ulechoser cheshek lahamshich mekora b'yetzahara. Listen to that sentence. I'm going to say it again. Listen carefully, ladies, and those online gentlemen. Listen carefully. Klal Gadol is a key critical principle. Kol davar v'chol machshava. Every concept, every topic, every thought in the service of Hashem, that causes sadness and yeyush. Yeyush, what's yeyush? Yeyush is despair, yeyush is giving up. You know what halacha is? Yeyush and halacha is, I have this bottle of water, and I drop it outside, it fell out of my bag somewhere, and someone discovers it. Are they allowed to keep it? The halacha would say, this bottle of water, yes. There's no name, there's no label, there's no identifying mark. Maybe if it fell in, a, in my parking spot, in the parking lot, they can assume it came out of my car. But generally speaking, you find this in a public space, you can keep it. Why? What's the halachic mechanism that allows you to keep it? Yeish. Yeish. The other person gave up. They therefore relinquished ownership. When I keep it, why aren't I stealing it from someone? This is someone else's bottle of water. Aren't I? I'm getting thirsty. Aren't I stealing it? Eloheinu melech olam Hydrate with Kavana. Hydrate. Like water bottles. Hydrate with Kavana. Caffeinate with Kavana. Hydrate with Kavana. Energize with Kavana. We're going to come out with a whole 
This is going to be great. Alana, you and I, we're going to get rich. We're not going to get rich. Every dollar, $10 a cup at the end of Shear, every dollar goes to the shul. Every dollar goes to the shul. Alana graciously donated her time, and I don't get one penny. Every dollar goes to the shul. Alanalandau at gmail.com, with an I. She's, she's been amazing for me and for the shul, and she's fantastic at what she does, so you'll, you'll be helping yourself. So anything, yeah, so what's yeah, so you find this, why aren't you stealing? It belongs to someone, why are you allowed to keep it? What's the answer? It doesn't belong to anyone. Ah, but what do you mean? It's someone's bottle of water. The answer is no, they had yeish. Halachically, yeish means they relinquished ownership. It no longer belongs to them. They relinquished ownership. They no longer own it. They gave up ownership. So now I can take it. It's hefker. It's ownerless. I can acquire it. That's why you're allowed to keep a lost object. Halachically, you have to return a lost object. We don't say finders, keepers, losers, weepers. That is not a Jewish concept. We believe in hashavah saveda. Is a mitzvah of hashavah saveda. You have to return a lost object. Hashavah saveda. So why, why then can I keep some things? The answer is when it's something that I won't be able to identify the owner and return it, in those circumstances, I can assume they give up ownership and I can keep it. That's Yeish. That's Yeish. So there's a beautiful song. We sang it here when Rav Weinberger was here. Rabbeinu Sha'ag, that Rav Nachman of Breslov screamed out, Ein shum Yeish ba'olam klal. There's no Yeish in this world. I would sing it for you, but I don't want to hurt your eardrums. Rabbeinu Sha'ag, ain't shum yeish, ain't shum yeish, ain't shum yeish ba'olam klal. There is no despair in this world. There's no giving up hope. There's no owning our destiny. There's no stopping to own our destiny in this world. This notion of yeish. So says Rav Meyer, if there's a thought, if there's a pattern of thought, if there's a topic which causes you to become sad and despondent and have despair, which gives you yeish, which makes you give up, makes you become hopeless and helpless. It takes away your cheshek. It takes away your drive. It puts, it extinguishes your fire. The, the makor for that thought, the makor for that conversation is the Yetzahara. The source of that thought is the Yetzahara. Get rid of it. Overcome it. Purge it. Drive it out. It's never a positive thought. It's never a positive thought. If you're thinking and your conversation and you are consumed with thoughts that make you sad and negative and down and depressed and despair and hopeless and helpless, that is always only the Yetzirah speaking. Kimitov Nolatov, from good is born good. Umeira Nolad Ra. Negative energy creates negative reality and positive energy creates a positive reality. Nobody promoted more than, nobody promoted this more than Lubavitcher Rebbe, Zechatzalik Lavracha. The Rebbe and his positivity bias, I think there's a book, Positivity Bias, about the Rebbe's attitude and approach of positivity. I've shared it with you many times. The Rebbe said it in the very language that we use. He was asked to give an endorsement to a hospital, a new hospital in Israel. He said on one condition, it's not a Beit Cholim, it's not a building for sick people, it's a Beit Rifuah. If it's a building for sick people, while you're lying there, you feel, I'm sick, I'm in a building for sick people. But if it's a building for healing and health, then you feel, I'm getting better. I'm in a building for getting better. So much so that the Rebbe didn't use the words deadline. You got to get your article. We're going to print on the weekly. There's a deadline. He said deadline has the word dead. We call it a due date. A due date, something's about to be born. So we have to get the project in because something's about to be born. It's a due date, not a deadline. I'll give you a hundred other examples, not my own, that the Rebbe insisted when he spoke to people and among his shlichim, 
who when you meet, and I'm not romanticizing, I know it's not perfect, but for the most part whom you meet are just filled with positive energy and light and love and hope and positivity. Did you see the picture of all of the companies that are no longer in Russia? And there's like a thousand logos. And it said the one that's still in Russia and it was a picture of Chabad. <laughs> right, it's amazing. Correctly, all these companies have left Russia and the only one still, it said something like, the only one still operating in Russia, Chabad. It's unbelievable, unbelievable. So the positivity bias of the Rebbe, it's a due date, not a deadline. It's a building for healing, not a building for sick people. And so many other examples. The very language that we use creates reality. Where did he get this from? It's not just the Rebbe. Here it's Ravitcher Meyer. Mitov nolad tov, meira nolad ra. Use positive words and there'll be positive results. Have a positive energy, you'll bring a positive consequence to the world. Have a positive demeanor and a positive bias and you'll create a positive reality. And the opposite's also true. You know, there are people who walk into a room and their negative face kills the energy in the room before they open their mouth. They don't have to say a word. They walk in the room and they murder all the positive energy in the room. They're corpses of positive energy lying everywhere. They're murderers. They have murdered the positive energy. You want to say to them, stop, walk out, put a smile, walk back in. We need CPR in here right away. Right away, stop, walk out, come back, try it again. Because when you sit at the dinner table, or you walk into the home, or you go into that conference room for that meeting, and you're just negative, it's not going to work, and everything's miserable, I'm so tired, everything's down, and I can't take it, and the world's falling apart. Uh, you need a spiritual defibrillator. Everybody sitting there is just like, you just killed me. I actually thought the world's a great place, and I was excited and happy and optimistic and positive, but I guess I, guess I was wrong. I guess I should be miserable with you. Misery loves company. So when you're miserable and negative and forbidden, you create that reality. We know that, by the way. Miserable people walk around and the people react and respond to them miserably, which just makes them more miserable and blaming the other people for their misery. And the positive people create positive realities about them. Tracht good and sein good, the Rebbe said, think good, it will be good. Our energy that we put into the universe creates the reality. Where did the Rebbe get that from? Where did Rebbe Meyer get it from? What's the word for speech? Lidaber. Dibur is speech. What's the word for a thing? This cup is a thing. I don't know if you heard, we produced a cup, caffeinate with, with cup. What's the word davar? Why is it the same word? Dalad Bez Resh, davar and dibur, same word, why? Because you create a thing with your speech. We create a davar with our dibur. We create reality with our speech, with our attitude. Positivity breeds positive results and negativity creates a negative reality. So if that thought you're having right now, if that thought pattern that you're perseverating and marinating in, people marinate in a sous vide of negativity. Impressed? Sous vide. Impressed? Isn't it like 24 hours, like long sous vide, isn't that? So they sit and stew in their sous vide of negativity until they're entirely flavored with negativity and they create negative reality. They walk in a room, the people around them, business, relationships, spiritually, religiously. We control our destiny. Happiness is a decision, it's not an emotion. Act positively, have a positive energy, use positive language, you'll bring about a positive result. Try it, before you disagree and tell me why it won't work and it never worked, it never will work, try it, try it. 
Next week we'll take a poll. So if you're having those thoughts, if you're having thoughts, says Ravitcher Meyer, if you're having thoughts, I'm unworthy, I'm incapable, I'm incompetent, it'll never be better, this is just my reality, I have no mazels the way it's meant to be, then you're going to bring about that reality. But we don't believe that. Says and sings the Holy Rab Nachman, There cannot be Yeish. The Gemara talks about there's two types of Yeish. Yeish Midas and Yeish Shalom Midas. A conscious despair and a subconscious despair, which has halachic consequences when you can keep a lost object. Do we believe the person explicitly gave up hope or implicitly gave up hope? The Gemara uses a phrase that Yeish Shalom Midas, which is an implicit despair. But we say Yeish Shalom Midas. If you've given up, if you have Yeish, it's Shalom Midas. It's because you're not thinking clearly. Because if you're thinking clearly, there's always hope. There's always belief. There's always turning the page. There's always a fresh start. There's always a new beginning. There's always a reason to be positive. There's always a positivity bias. Be biased towards being positive. Look for the positive. Again, I want to, get, I want to do two more sentences, but I wish there were more time. You see this in relationships. All the research shows, again, Dr. John Gottman, five compliments for every criticism. Positivity bias. The criticism will be heard much better in the context of five compliments for every criticism. In marriage, with employees and coworkers, with our children, in life, you have to have a positivity bias. Gottman talks about a negativity bias and a positivity bias. You know what that is? There are people who wake up in the morning and everything is wrong before the day even started. They're angry at their spouse before their spouse even opened their eyes. They could do no right. They look at the world with a negativity bias. And then there are people who have a positivity bias. Most often when we're newlyweds or courtship or we're engaged, that's when we have the positivity bias. You know, so even the, the total faults and flaws and warts and pimples of the other person, aren't they adorable idiosyncrasies? Aren't they the cutest? It's a positivity bias we have. They could do no wrong whatsoever. And then we get married for a little while and there's a negativity bias. They could do no right. Everything they do is wrong. Everything they do is wrong. From the way they say good morning until the way they say good night and everything in between. So that's what marriage therapists, counselors, experts say. Do you have a negativity bias or a positivity bias? What's the paradigm? What's the bias? What are the glasses you're wearing? There are people who look at the world through glasses where everything is amazing. They see what's amazing. This year is dedicated to memory of my dear friend, Rabbi Dr. Brian Gabbett, who saw the world through the glasses of everything is amazing. He lay on his deathbed, looking up at IVs and tubes and machines. And in the last moments that he could speak, which unfortunately... There was a long time before he passed away that he couldn't. He was still just using the words, isn't Hashem amazing? Isn't everything amazing? Isn't my family amazing? You could wear positivity glasses on your deathbed and you could have everything in the world, health and money, and you look through these negativity glasses and everything's miserable. You could be on your deathbed and everything's amazing and you could have every blessing that anyone could want and everything is terrible. Which glasses do you want to wear? Which glasses are you putting on in the morning? Now you'll say, well, it's not my fault. This is the way my mother was. This is my DNA. These are my genetics. If I had a different spouse, they'd bring me down every day. I wish they wouldn't make me. I wish I would lived with someone who made me. 
We could come up with a billion reasons why it's not our fault. But we put on our glasses. Nobody else puts them on for us. We put on those contact lenses. There are people who can even have LASIK surgery to change their vision entirely. But we put on those glasses. It's up to us. That means that even when we make a mistake, we can learn from it, we can grow from it, we could and should feel a little bit of healthy shame from it, but we shouldn't feel sad from it. Sadness is just a trait, sadness is a quality, Sadness is a feeling that never breeds anything good. I'm not talking about you lose a loved one, you shouldn't feel sad. Avelos, grieving, there are reasons to feel sad. If you lost a billion dollars, you should feel sad. There's a bracha. Diana, I mean, we make bracha, there, there are reasons to feel sad. You pause and you feel sad. Again, apply the five by five rule. If it won't matter in five years, don't let it matter for more than five minutes. There are things that will matter in five years. You lose a loved one, you lose your fortune, They'll matter in five years, and it will matter for more than five minutes, and it's okay to be sad. There are times that we're sad, there are times that we grieve. So I'm not saying never be sad, but the sadness, because we bring ourselves down, we have negative thoughts, we are racked by guilt and shame, that sadness never, ever breeds anything good. It's the Yetzirah. It's the Yetzirah. Don't indulge it. Don't listen to it. Don't feed it. Don't be brought down. The pathway to growth, to breakthrough, is joy, is happiness, is menuchas nefesh, which we'll speak more about in Mirza Hashem. The Shabbos with, what's it called? Vegetables and fruit? Crudite and fruit. <laughs> and Kiddush, at the women's Kiddush and mini shir. Stay calm and carry on, defeating the hysteria of Amalek this Shabbos morning. Tonight we go behind the bima with Yochevet Goldberg. And all of the rabbis and rebbitsons and staff of BRS, this is our marathon edition, our global edition, if you've not yet contributed to the global campaign. If you're a member of BRS, you're doing your part. But if you're not a member of BRS and you enjoy our shiurim and our classes and our writings, please do your part. BRSonline.org slash global, BRSonline slash org.global. Right now, caffeinate with Galvana Cups, Lee, $10, cash, check, Venmo, should be available until next time and you get your magnet. Stay happy, stay healthy, and stay holy. <laughs>